Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Number is 499-9526. Of course, if you're outside of our normal calling area, should I say our local calling area? I was going to say. <laughs> I hope our normal calling area is all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're outside of the local area, you put a 225 in front of there, and you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right, and we're still giving away our free T-shirt for the oh, longest distance absolutely. caller this morning. Absolutely, and today, just because it's such a beautiful day and I'm in such a good mood, we'll, really? make, we'll make that a classic retro Agco hey, T-shirt. <laughs> all right. The most coveted. Uh, the most coveted and most limited, I guess you could say. Yeah. Agco T-shirt. You just give us a call. Let the producer know where it is that you're calling from. And whoever calls in the furthest distance, we will absolutely get that out to you Monday morning, send it to USPS, and that way it'll come to you right in the mail. That's it. Know. Usually by Wednesday or Thursday. Depending yeah. on where you're at. Well, and depending on the proficiency of the United States Postal Service. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying anything bad about those guys, but uh, sometimes they do a pretty good job. I have seen where we will send it out on Monday and people will email back on Tuesday and say they've received it. Already. Wow. So good. you got to give them their kudos when they deserve it. You know, oh, yeah. You can't just bash them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> got to feed old horse some oats every once in a while. You can't just beat them all the time. That's you know? it. <laughs> Anyway, you go ahead and give us a call. I'm glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. I see we've got a caller already. We've got Ken on the line. Good morning, Ken. How are you doing, guys? Doing, doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 98 Nissan Maxima. It's got about 195,000 miles okay. on it. Recently, I changed one of the coil packs on it yes, because sir. it's gone out. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that when I take off, sometimes it, it hesitates, but I've also noticed, noticed my gas mileage deteriorate over yes, the sir. past year or so to about 16 miles a gallon in the city when it should have got about 18, 19. Yes, sir. So my question is, since the car's that old and the coil packs have never been changed, yes, sir. I'm wondering if I should go ahead and change all those along with the spark plugs, and does it really matter which spark plugs use some Nissan forms to talk about using these uh, platinum ones that Nissan recommends. Yeah, Ken, a couple of really good questions. They had a lot of trouble with the cars on that engine, and they actually recommend changing all six. If you read, there's a bulletin from Nissan covering that. They've got an updated call for it, and I can tell you, when one call fails, the other five have fired exactly as many times. So the odds are they all be pretty tired. So I would personally go ahead and change all six, particularly if you're changing one in the back, because if I'm not mistaken, you may have to even take the intake off to get to the back ones on it. And if so, if you could go to that extent, then you might as well change all of them. They are kind of pricey, but they're not that bad. Do you think it'll make a difference in the gas mileage and performance? Well, if the calls are not firing at proper efficiency or if they're cutting out, it definitely will. Now, that's a if. On that car, or 98, you probably can't get misfire counts because it just didn't support that much data. But if you had a lab scope where you could read the pattern and you could see, the answer to the question is going to depend on what's occurring right now. If that's the reason why the mileage is down, then certainly, yes, it is going to restore it. And certainly that is a reason why it can be down. If a call goes out, it doesn't necessarily just fail 100% and start missing. Sometimes they just lose efficiency. And what happens is that when the power goes to it, it builds the field, it fires, it can't regenerate fast enough for the next cycle, then the spark is weak and you get a misfire, in which case gas goes right out the tailpipe, and so it will waste gas. And if one or two calls is doing that, maybe only one out of every 10 times, that's a considerable amount of gas. 
My, my final question would be this. Lotus on eBay and other places on the web, mm-hmm. you can buy for discount six of them at one time for yes. about 150 bucks. Yes, sir. Those are junk knockoff calls. Probably came out of China, Ken. I would not waste my time with those. Especially if you got to go through a whole lot to put them in. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you got to take the intake off to put them in, I would be going back with what Nissan called for. I would either buy the Nissan call or at very least from a name brand aftermarket supplier. Somebody like Standard Ignition is a pretty decent call. I don't think it's quite the standard that the original part was, but we have used them in the instances where we couldn't get the original and, and they were What about going to one of these places, uh, one of these big box automotive parts stores in town? I've got two of them I'm thinking of right now. Yeah, don't mention any names, Ken, but for the most part, in my experience, the parts they've got are trash. A lot of times they don't even meet Nissan spec right out of their boxes. It's one of those deals, there's an old saying, you get what you pay for. And I don't think that's so, but you never get more than you pay for. You don't always get what you pay for, but you never get more than you pay for. Auto parts really don't have that much markup in them, contrary to common belief. And if you're buying something significantly cheaper than what the market is, then you are going to get taken some kind of way. What's the name brand you recommend on that? Well, Standard Ignition is an old company that's been around a million years, and they are a U.S. company. I'm not going to say they're equal to the Nissan product, but they probably are significantly less expensive. When I say significantly, 20%, 30%. And that's maybe a reasonable amount. But when you start seeing stuff 50 60 70% cheaper, eh, red flag, man. All right, Standard Ignition, one more. Uh, with regards to the platinum park plug, I would go back with like. the NGK original equipment plug, Ken. All that other stuff is not going to give you one bit better mileage. It's not going to help one bit. Go back with the original equipment NGK plug that comes in it. You can be far Very better good. off. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. That's a good good topic and. People seem to think that there is a huge, huge markup in auto parts for some reason. Uh-huh. And that's really not the case. Right. A shop many times does not buy as cheaply as you buy when you walk into the store. There's not this huge amount of markup that they're marking parts up for the most part. Well, I guess, back up, I guess some of them do. But yeah, right. For the most part, there's maybe 10 to 20% markup. When you're buying good parts. If you're buying a decent part. Right. And when you see stuff 75% lower than what the market is there's a reason for that and anybody can take and duplicate any part make a knockoff it's kind of like i was in new york two or three weeks ago and they're selling dooney and burke purses on the corner for five dollars right well guess what (laughs) it falls apart in two weeks right made a sweatshop somewhere overseas well yeah and besides all the moral implications of buying that kind of trash it just doesn't work it can damage your car particularly stuff like a coil where let's say this thing decides short out and knocks out the PCM on your car. Right. You're well, talking nine, twelve hundred dollars Yeah, now you do a $1,200 PCM to save 20 bucks on a call. Right. And we see that pretty much every day because we're on the side of the equation where someone's already tried all this stuff, and now they've got a major problem. They're towing the car to us to straighten out. I'm having to go in, take this junk off, throw it in the trash can, and tell them, look, it's – not only that, not only do you still have to buy the original ones, but now you've got this, 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 this. And, and not only that, if you have to go through a world of repair and disassembly to get to these parts, right? you want to make sure you're putting good parts back so you don't have to do it again. Well, that's right. If because you, you're talking a lot of labor to go in and pull an intake just to get to a set of coils. Right. 
and most people don't consider their labor worth anything because it doesn't cost them anything out of their pocket. Well, and but you, you should about well, you should you, you could be doing something else right. to make money in that time at very least. Or you could be doing something else. Period. Something that you enjoy, right? <laughs> instead of instead of that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that everybody is not looking to save money, and there are legitimate avenues to save money. Certainly, going by quality name brand parts and doing the work yourself will save you some money. It will. Because you don't have to pay someone else to do it. If you're capable of doing that, if you want to take the time to read and figure out how to do it properly, then God bless you. That is a viable way to save money. But buying junk parts is not a viable way to save money. That That's is right. actually going to cost you far, far more money than what you would have just to go ahead and do it right. Money and time. Well, both. And I guess... To a very, very real degree, time is money. Exactly. Money is time because time's one thing you can't get any more of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once it's gone, you can't get it back. That's right. So that we see that, though, just all the time. A fellow towed his car in not very long ago, and it wouldn't start. This happened to be a Chevy pickup truck, and he says, man, I just don't know what's wrong. I've changed the fuel pump. I've changed the call. I've changed this. I've changed that. And the car just won't start. A truck just won't start. And the first thing we did is do a fuel pressure test on it. Right. It had no fuel pressure. So the next thing we did is go to the leads under the vehicle and check for voltage and ground. I've got voltage, I've got ground, and I've got command from the PCM. Uh -huh. So I told him, well, it looks like the fuel pump. No, no, I just changed that. That's a new one. I said, well, it looks like the fuel pump's bad. No, no, it can't be that. I said, well, it looks like the fuel pump's bad. <laughs> so we pulled the tank, took the fuel pump out, hooked 12 volts directly to it. It doesn't run. Right. So that's an example of a brand new pump. Now, the guy says, man, I spent almost a week putting that thing in. Not to mention all the other parts he changed. It cost me $250. So that was a junk one. A good one is $400. Right. So he saved $150, had to buy the good one anyway. And spent a week of his time dealing with it the first time. Plus, he bought a call and several other parts thinking that it couldn't be that, so it had to be something else. Right. You can't ever expect a new part. Is a good part. It's not a known good part. That's right. It's just a new part. That's it's right. Lots of times, it's not even a good part. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Plan to motor west. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, Car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakquel. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you need some free, unbiased advice on your car or automotive concern of any kind, there you go. That covers it. Scholar. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Hey, 499-9526 will get you right straight to us. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or for whatever reason you don't care to be on the air, 
Some Maybe during the week. there you go. You can always get your questions answered on our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O. Dot com. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. Right. Get you to our site. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and have an answer back within 24 hours. Sure can. And if you hadn't gotten an answer back within 24 hours, just go ahead and resubmit that form. Occasionally, cyberspace being what it is, it may be floating around out there somewhere, or you may have actually inadvertently typed in the wrong email address, put a wrong character in there or something and when i try to send it back it just bounces back to me and if i can't figure it out which most time i can't right <laughs> that's pretty much the end of it so just if you hadn't gotten something back because i normally will respond if you catch me in the afternoons after i get home which is generally about six o'clock to about oh eight nine o'clock when i go to bed i'm normally sitting at the computer and you can generally get a response back within a few minutes hour or so at the most if you send it during the day while I'm at work, I try to check it several times during the day. So within a few hours, you're going to get it. Now, if you send it after about 9 in the afternoon, you probably not get one until <laughs> about 5 the next morning when I wake up. But uh, that's just the way it is. But yeah, lots and lots of good things on that site that you can do. There is the detailed topic section, which has a tremendous amount of information about a specific topic. And I've begun a series of articles that I hope to do on the early, early days of automobiles, sort of an early automotive primer. These are little tidbits that I've gleaned out of old newspapers and what have you. You can go on the net and you can Google just about anything and you can get a lot of information, but a lot of times you're going to notice if you do that, you get conflicting reports uh -huh. from different places. Just depends on who's telling the story and what their take was and how they interpret it and all that. And I, I hate that because I like facts. <laughs> right. I'm a gearhead, so I like facts. So what I did with these articles, I actually went back to the old newspapers of the days. I went back to the census data from the days. I went back to, oh, I wrote an article that went online this morning on the first automobile accident in the United States. And I probably spent about a month researching this article. Right. Even went so far as to try to get the original police report from the city of New York. Went to the site, looked at the area, took pictures of the way it looks today and so on. Tried to get some flavor of what was going on at the time. So this is a very involved article that will give you a great deal of factual information. So if you are kind of like me and you like that sort of thing, right. you're going to like this article. And the very first automobile accident was a lady named Evelyn Thompson who was riding her Columbia bicycle and was hit by a gentleman named Henry Wells driving a Duryea. And the accident caused her leg to be fractured. And that's what you hear. But if you really kind of want to know some of the more peculiars about it, the reason that Henry Wells was there, he was from Springfield, Massachusetts, which is where the Duryea car was built. There was actually a race going on at the time, and the race was being sponsored by the Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh -huh. There had been a race about a year earlier in Chicago, which is kind of purported to be the first automobile race, and Frank Duryea won that race, which really propelled him sort of into the forefront of car builders at the time. They were the first production car in the United States, well ahead of Henry Ford. They were testing cars in the early 1890s, had pre-production models out, about 1893 and 1894 and were in production by 1895 they were having a race that the cosmopolitan magazine had sponsored and they offered actually a three thousand dollar prize which, which was a vast amount of money well in the that time average period. wage earner in 
eighteen ninety five earned about thirty dollars a month. Right. So you talking? That, that was a lot. That was a big chunk of change. A <laughs> hundred month salary. Yeah. So that was a big, big chunk of change. And even with that type of reward offered, they only got seven entries. Right. And the reason being, it cost a tremendous amount to build a car and to transport a car in those days. So basically, only the local people could get there. Now, Springfield, Massachusetts is not that far from New York City. So of the seven cars that were entered, I think five of them were Duryea's. Uh-huh. One of them was an Armstrong, and the name of the other one actually escapes me. I think it was a Rogers. It's in the article. But they were actually racing up Broadway, and Mr. Wells apparently had a problem with his car, kind of like what we call death wobble today. Uh-huh. The car started to wobble side to side to side, coming up Broadway, right, right around the intersection of 74th Street. Miss Thompson had to be crossing on her bicycle, was confused when she saw this car wobbling all the road. Probably gets confused when you see a car at all because there didn't many cars around. Exactly. But anyway, in all the confusion, she was hit, knocked down, and the bicycle was damaged. And Wasn't he arrested? He was arrested at the site. Right. Police arrived. They didn't know exactly what to do, but we had a lady that was injured, and we had a very expensive piece of equipment. A Columbia bicycle cost almost $100 right, in 1895. Three months' salary. That's right. So we had an expensive piece of equipment damage. So cops doing what cops do. <laughs> they, somebody, threw, they threw him in the clink. Somebody got to go to jail. That's right. Now, ironically, they allowed his car to go on in the race with another driver. Correct. So that just shows you how, how much different things are today <laughs> than they were back then. But anyway, really interesting story. It goes into great detail. It has some pictures of the area and so on and so forth. You might want to read that. Next week, I've got another one that's going to be kind of a follow-up to it. And uh-huh. you just have to Go to the website and see. I'm not going to tell you about it right now. All right. <laughs> Just a wait and see game. Yeah, that's right. Got a little teaser there. But tons and tons of other information, lots of technical information. If you want to know how to check a relay, how to check a fuel pump, how to change a wheel bearing, any of those sorts of things, there's tons of those on there as well. A lot of them are broken down by category. If you go to the category view and you want to know about, let's say, automatic transmissions, well, it'll bring up all the articles on transmissions. If you uh-huh. want to know about an engine, it'll bring up all the articles on engines. If you want to know about front-end alignment, it'll bring up all the articles on front-end alignment. And there's, of course, lots of those, Right. that being one of our specialties. Put one in there a couple of weeks ago on why a car might continue to wear tires even though the front-end is aligned. And that's sort of an interesting topic because a lot of times people are perplexed. They have buy a decent set of tires, they have the car aligned, and 15,000 miles later the tires are worn out, and they don't know what's going on, so they go get it done again, and it happens again. So they start to say, well, there must be something wrong with this car. And it may be, but probably not. And that's when we see it. That's right. Well, then it comes <laughs> to us, and we fix it, and it gets 6,000 miles next set, but that's another story. Exactly. <laughs> but this is how we go about doing that, and there's no real rocket science to it. It's just understanding what alignment is, what it means. And what it does. The difference in dynamic alignment and static alignment and so on. And not every shop out there actually understands all of that. And you can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, it's all in the green, so it's got to be right. Yeah, yeah, which to which me is, is connotes a person who doesn't know what in the heck Doesn't doing. understand what he's doing. Well, and so often what we see is that you have trainees, training trainees. Sure. And the message, maybe you push this button, you turn this, you push this, you sweep this, and you read this. But you don't know why. Exactly. And so it makes it very, very difficult for a person like that with a limited amount of knowledge to diagnose any kind of problem when anything goes wrong. So right. Go on there, see what you think, at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. 
Lots of good information. I think you'll really like it. We're going to take another quick little break and be right back with more. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? I'm putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes... My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't keep punching with Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, try to answer any automotive question you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And your questions are a whole lot more interesting than Brian and I sitting here yakking each other. That's for a fact. <laughs> that is for a fact. So go ahead and give us a call. In case you happen to be outside of our calling area, possibly listening on Stitcher or iHeart or any of the other fine services that rebroadcast this there program, you go. we would certainly appreciate hearing from you. Let us know where you're calling from. If you listen every week or if this is the first time you ever listened, right? you give us a call. One thing that we get a lot at the shop, fellow was in earlier this week and he says i want you to check my vehicle over tell me anything it needs any maintenance stuff and so on and we were just kind of talking and he had had some of the stuff done already i mentioned i said well you know the coolant will be done well i've had that done already well transmission needs well i've had that done already Uh uh-huh and i said how about the cabin filter and his eyes kind of went blank he kind of glassed over cabin filter what that (laughs) and it occurred to me that a lot of folks don't realize what a cabin filter is. Right. Or and if their car has one. That's what I was just fixing to say. A lot of vehicles started with a cabin filter and then they've been dropped. Right. So you're not really sure what model of a typical vehicle has a cabin filter or doesn't have a cabin filter. Right. If you don't know about it, it could definitely cause you a lot of trouble. Well, it can because it can plug up. It can cause your air conditioning to go out. Most of your Japanese cars, I would say, do have the cabin filter. Your domestic cars, some of them have them, some of them don't have it. For instance, the Chevy pickup started using a cabin filter in 99. They used it up till about mid-year 2003, and then they discontinued it because no one was changing them. Exactly. Some of the Ford products have them, some of them don't have. A very, very few Chrysler products have them. Most of them don't have them. But if it's got a cabin filter, basically that is a filter in the air inlet of the air conditioning, sort of like the filter on your air conditioner at home. Uh-huh. Right it filters bef- air going into the... Right before the blower motor. Right. And real nice feature, but they do get dirty in time, and they do have to be changed. So you probably want to check in your owner's manual or call a shop that you trust and ask them if you have one. If it hasn't been changed, you need to get that swapped some out. Some of them are real easy to get to, and some of them are a nightmare. That's right. We're going to talk a little more about that in just a minute, but let's go back to our phone lines. We have Molly online. Good morning, Molly. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing Good great, morning. ma'am. I love your show. I don't know a lot about cars, but I love listening to y'all. And I do have a question. 
I have a 2006 Lincoln Zephyr. Uh-huh. Um, great car, but it's been expensive to maintain. It's very expensive. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, my problem right now is my oil light is coming on. Now, I've just had the oil changed, and I've checked it. Nothing okay. appears to be wrong with it. Three weeks ago, I did bring my car to the dealership and had some work done. Yes, ma'am. They had to remove the instrument panel and do something with the evaporator core. Okay. Could that be what's triggering my light? It could be. Molly, let me ask you, what does the all light say? Does it say all pressure or does it say all level or does it say change the oil? It's just a picture of the, it's just a little icon of the oil. Like a little oil can type thing? And it's a red light? It's red. Yeah, that means the all pressure is inadequate to run the motor or the car thinks the oil pressure is inadequate to run the motor and chances are it's a false signal because if it was a real signal you'd have a lot of other real bad problems really really fast and i just had it all checked out and fixed so Mm -hmm. should i just is that something i just need to bring back and have them well it needs to be checked yes ma'am and there's a little component called an oil pressure sender uh-huh. Not real expensive, but that's the part that screws into the motor that takes the pressure of the oil and turns it into an electrical signal that the computer can understand. Okay. They're kind of bad about going out. And when it goes out, even though you've got pressure, the car doesn't know you've got pressure. So it warns you that, hey, I don't have oil pressure. Since that would burn the motor up, it's, it's trying to warn you. Right. But, you know, it's one of those things, Molly, you can't ignore it because it's kind of like a fire alarm. If you just ignore mm-hmm. it because it keeps going off and then one day your house catches fire and you burn up, that's the problem. If you do lose oil pressure, you got to know. So you got to be able to count on that. Generally, if that is the oil pressure sender, which is not going to be that expensive, I mm-hmm. want to say about 20 to 30 minutes to change it and probably a 50 to $60 part. So not okay. hugely expensive. Now, if the now, problem started after the work was done, it's possible they could have knocked the wire off of it or something doing the other work also. Now, do I have to bring it back to the dealership? Oh, absolutely or not. Yes, ma'am. Sure. We can do that, or any competent shop can do that. Okay. Uh, you don't ever have to go back to a dealership for anything other than warranty okay. work. Okay. Thank you so much. All righty, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we have got Johnny online. Good morning, Johnny. Morning. How are y'all doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I've got a nineteen ninety six Lincoln Town Car with relatively low mileage, about fifty five thousand. Okay. I've noticed in the last couple of months, and of course I don't drive it that often. My wife actually does, but notice it has a little clunk when you can reverse and it press the brakes down. And at first I thought, well, it's not a few joint or something. Check that all out. I didn't check the brakes. That's not the problem. And then I start recognizing that there's slack. In the differential, which I found to be a little abnormal for such low mileage. Well, Ford has had some trouble with that. Not so much on the town car. They had a tremendous amount of trouble with that on the pickup trucks, which is kind of the same rear end. And so much so that they actually revised the gear set, went to a different gear that they made available to you, and revised the specification on the oil from 75W90 up to 75140. But they did have a lot of trouble with that. Johnny, you can tell pretty easily just by crawling under the car, put the parking brake on, grab the drive shaft and turn it. And if you can rotate it about 10, 15 minutes back and forth with the car sitting still, then it's definitely inside the rear end. It's definitely inside the rear end. I've done that just like you Well, that's going to be a problem because if the gears are wearing, you're going to have a bunch of metal floating around in that oil which is going to get into the bearings, it's going to take them out, and you're going to have a catastrophic failure on your rear end. 
Now, it's an expensive repair because you do have to change a lot of parts. Ford did lower the price on those gears considerably, but they fell short of recalling it or making it available for free. A normal set of gears, say for a Chevrolet or a Chrysler, is about $800. These are around $400, and generally they come with the bearings to do the job. So you still have a good deal of labor involved because you have to take the rear end completely apart to rebuild it, and that is a specialty that it takes someone who really knows what they're doing to set those gears up properly, or it'll be whining and carrying on forever. But I would probably get that addressed as soon as possible. At very least, if you want to just try something, go ahead and pull the cover off the rear end. Look inside. There's a magnet in there. See if it's all full of metal. Now, if it's all full of metal, then you're pretty much done. Right. If the magnet is fairly clean, go ahead and clean it all up real good and service it and put 75W140 oil back in it. It's a thicker oil. That may actually help with the problem, at least buy you some time, if not fix the problem. Right, right. I'll sure do that. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Johnny. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? 499-9526. We were talking about the cabin air filters. Those can be fairly easy on some vehicles and the devil's own work on others. <laughs> that is the truth. Most of your imports are right behind the glove box. You just drop the glove box compartment out. Uh-huh. Two little latches. You squeeze them in and pull the filter assembly out. Piece of cake. Something that anybody could anybody do themselves. remotely handy. Then there's the one on the Buick LeSabre. Certain year Buick LeSabre actually models. goes on the driver's side, and it's three pieces. You put one in, and it goes up, and you stack another one underneath right. it, and it goes up, and you stack the third one in. Yeah, I don't know You're what they You're fighting the gas pedal. That. Oh, I don't know. I don't either, but I can tell you, it and is a nightmare. Models, they changed, and they moved over to the driver's side, and it's, it's fairly easy now. Right, the passenger uh, side. Yeah, I think like like my car has got one, and I think it's over on the other side. And you just it drops is. in from the top. But, yeah, some of those are really, really difficult. But what happens when that cabin filter restricts is that you don't get proper airflow through the evaporator core. And the way an air conditioner works is that a liquid refrigerant enters the evaporator core, flashes off to a gas, and when it flashes to a gas, change of state causes it to absorb energy, energy being heat. So that's how it removes the heat from the car. If you don't get adequate airflow, it may not totally atomize that liquid into a gas. Uh If for any reason liquid goes through the evaporator core. There's a one more safety net on the outside called an accumulator. It's going to start to build up in the accumulator. If it overflows the accumulator, let's say it's a cool day out like today and the cabin filter is plugged. If it overflows the accumulator and returns to the compressor, you just bought a compressor and a condenser and an accumulator. Right, because and a whole you, bunch were, of stuff. you were trying to compress a liquid right. in that compressor and it is not capable of doing that. No, no liquid can be compressed. And so it is going to absolutely tear your air conditioning system to pieces. At very best, it's going to strain the devil out of the blower motor because it has to try to draw through this restricted Correct. Uh, filter. And it'll end up burning up the blower motor and the blower motor resistor. So if you've got one, not every car has one, but if you have one, you need to find out and have it replaced because they get dirty pretty fast. We actually pulled one out the other day you couldn't shine a light through. Yeah, I've seen 15, sometimes 20, 30,000 miles, and they're completely plugged oh, yeah. up. So. Hey, we're going back to our phone. I've got John online. Good morning, John. Morning, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Enjoy your program. Well, thank you, sir. A quick comment on that air filter. I have a 07 Toyota Tacoma. Yes, sir. And after about 50,000, I noticed that when you was running with the fresh air coming in, that it seemed to be a pollen-type smell yes, coming sir. in. Mm-hmm. 
and really I didn't know I had one, and I started <laughs> looking it up. Uh-huh. But bottom line, it's the best 20 bucks I ever spent. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You drop the box and one screw, and you're there. So. Yeah, the Toyotas are pretty easy for the most part. Yeah. And the, the second one I wanted to call you as a follow-up, you saved me a ton of money a couple of months ago. I brought in Grand Marquis with an intermittent headlight problem. Sometimes they would come on, and yes, sometimes sir. they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd got anywhere from... Eight hundred to eleven hundred dollars from the Mercury place or from other places. Yes, sir. When I talked to you about it, I don't remember, but you told me there was a chance you could pull that L skin or one of those modules and yes, sir, Jim module actually fix it. Mm-hmm. And you asked me if I wanted to go that route. You said you thought you could do it for two hundred fifty to three hundred bucks. Yes, so sir. We took the chance, and you fixed it, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that. Oh, well, you, great. You saved me probably 700 bucks. Well, good deal. Good deal. I appreciate it. I'm glad it's working out for you. Yeah, and on that fuel pump issue, uh-huh. I've had several vehicles. One of them, the last one I could recall was an Isuzu, uh-huh. which made the Chevy Love truck. They had the fuel pump right on the firewall, which was probably about a 15 or 20 minute job to <laughs> yes, change sir. it out. Yes, sir. Anyway, I just wanted to call and let you know that how much I appreciate it and how wow. much I like your program. Well, thank you. I appreciate you calling. Have a good weekend. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That's that general electronics module, and that thing is about, I don't know, five $600 from right. Ford. And we've been able to take them apart and replace the part that goes bad in them in many cases. It doesn't always work. If the whole unit's burn up, you can't do it. But it's certainly worth a try, considerably less. And the kind of stuff we're always looking for at AGCO is ways to get as good or better job at lower Low cost. Low cost, exactly. Yeah, I mean, quality is not just about being good at what you do. It's about saving people money. That's right. And that's kind of concept that people have lost sight of or businesses have lost sight of these yeah. days. <laughs> We're going to go back to our phone lines with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Doing great, morning. sir. Yeah, I bought my daughter a 2002 Infinity G35. All right, sir. Uh-huh. And, it's, you know, we're doing regular oil changes on it. It seems to be burning a lot of oil. I don't see any oil leaks, but yes, sir. the other day uh, her light came on. It was like four quarts low. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that this, happens this a lot of times. common with this car? Not particularly with that car, but with cars in general, Dan. What happens a lot of times, particularly when you buy a used car, depending on the type of oil the original owner was using, sometimes when you change the oil brand, it'll bring about an oil consumption issue like that. And uh-huh. I don't know if there's anything you could do other than what you did because you don't know what was used in it originally. Most right. of the major brand oils are good, but they're not all compatible. And a lot of times you will get one and it just doesn't like what the other one was and it'll start using oil like that. What I would recommend to you is stay with whatever you're using because if you keep changing, you're going to make it even worse. But stay with what you're changing. And I would be doing all changes every 3,000 miles religiously on that car. It may we take up. We yeah. have been that thing, and it's not the first time I've noticed it. Either. Yeah, you know. it may take up some in time. I've had people where it does. There's also a option if you want to try it. There's what they call a chemical treatment of the motor, and uh-huh. that's where we go in. We remove all the spark plugs. We run some stuff down the cylinders. We put some old stuff in the oil. We run it. We take, drain it all out, do some more stuff. Sometimes it helps a great deal. Sometimes it helps a little bit. Sometimes it just doesn't work because the problem's just too bad. But beyond rebuilding the engine, that's all you can really do. And, you know, even if it's burning three or four quarts between a change, that's still all a lot cheaper than the alternative. 
Right. Okay, do you think there's any damage done to the engine being that low on oil? Well, yeah, if you keep running low on oil, you will damage the engine eventually. Now, one last thing, Dan, just to check. See if right. you can find the PCV valve on that car. Right. And pull the hose off the PCV valve and see if there's any oil in that hose. Because okay. it is barely possible that if the valve sticks in the open position, it can suck all right through and it'll go in and burn it inside the motor. Now, that's a cheap fix, and a lot of times that will help. If nothing else, putting a new PCV valve is going to create a negative pressure in the crankcase, which eases the load on the rings. And The last thing is to be sure you're using the right viscosity of oil. That engine was designed for 5W30. Don't let anybody tell you that heavier weight oil is going to help. It's going to make it worse. It's going to make it a lot worse. Okay. So be sure you're using 5W30, conventional oil, forget all these high mileage, yeah, yeah, yeahs. Don't put any kind of additives in it. Just use regular 5W30 motor oil, change it religiously, change the PCV valve. Beyond that, the only other option would be if the intake manifold could possibly be leaking, but I don't think it goes into the oil jacket on that car. Beyond that, it's probably not, you know, the fix is worse than the problem. Right, I understand. Okay, well, all thanks right. very much. Okay, man, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we have got Dave on the line. Good morning, Dave. Yeah, hey, I got a 04 Dodge Dakota, okay. 3.7, miles. All right, sir. My gas mileage just started dropping. The last month, I was getting consistently 15 and 20. Yes, sir. And all of a sudden, it just dropped down to about 12 and okay. 16 on the highway. Yes, sir. Tell you, Dave, the number one, two, and three thing that calls that, Number one, by a wide measure, look at your temperature gauge and make sure the engine is getting to full operating temperature. Okay. Because if the temperature of the engine drops, like let's say the thermostat is sticking open and it's not getting to full operating temperature, it is going to drink gas. Reason being, injection doesn't have a choke. So what it does is that when the engine is cold, it starts to double pulse the injectors to richen the mixture up. Now, that's going to really, really drink a whole lot of gas. So that is a number one by a wide measure. Number two, if the sensor that runs the computer is bad and it thinks it's cold, even if it's not. For instance, there's two sensors for the most part. One runs the gauge, one runs the computer. Let's say the gauge sensor is working fine. It's reading full temperature, and it is full temperature. But the one that goes to the computer is telling the engine that it's 20 degrees outside it's going to do the same exact thing because all it knows is what the sensor tells it. And you've got to have a scan tool to actually get that calculation. That's correct. So okay. that would be number two. Number three would be a bad oxygen sensor because the oxygen sensors are the feedback to the system that tells it how much gas you're burning and custom tunes the amount of fuel to air that the engine is going to use. And there's this set at 14.7 to 1. That is just the computer sets it there. But the O2 sensor tells it, hey, we're too rich or we're too lean, so it can trim up or down from there depending on what it sees. Normally, you can have a check engine light with that, but not always. So those are the things that are going to affect gas mileage drastically like you're talking about. Other than that, something like a bad spark plug or a bad plug wire can, but you would also have a misfire that you would notice. And if you, okay. you didn't mention that, so chances are you're not in anything like that. Well, I'll check that temperature okay. and uh, keep an eye on it. Okay, okay thank Sounds you. Sounds great, man. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. We're going to take a quick little break. Glenda, Yogi, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break.
Hey, Flint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think b- I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry from Agco Automotive, right here from Co Pilot Seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499 9526. And we're going to go back to our phone lines with Glenda. Good morning, Glenda. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing we're great, great. Great. I have a question. Uh, I have a 96 Cadillac SLS, uh-huh. and on the dash, it flashes service ride control. Yes, what ma'am. Mean? That is a, actually a system that Cadillac used back in that time. Very, very, very complex, and it offered very few benefits to the driver relative to the cost of repair. So what most people elect to do, in fact, Cadillac actually came out with a kit that bypasses that system. So if you want to get the light off, there is a kit that can be installed. It's sort of like a relay and stuff that you install. It comes from Cadillac, and it allows you to bypass the system. Now, to answer your question, because I kind of got ahead of myself, what happens is that it counts the number of cycles that the car makes up and down when you go down the road. Like if you're on a bumpy road, it's counting the number of cycles up and down. And the shock absorbers are trying to keep it from bouncing more than it has to. So what happens is that when the number of cycles up and down exceeds a preset limit, then it kicks that light on. Well, that's a great feature, except that those shock absorbers are about $1,000 a piece. And there's, you got one at each corner. There's four, four of, them of them on there, plus all the other contending stuff and labor to change it. And most people just ain't willing to cough up five grand because the car's bouncing up and down a little bit more than it used to. And Cadillac actually offered that car without that system on it. Right. So you can get a replacement shock that's not the electronic, not the real expensive electronic Right, one. you can get a standard shock if it is truly bouncing more than you like and fix that problem, but then the light's still on. Correct. So what they did, I thought was pretty decent of them. They came out with a kit you can install that will turn the light off. It basically just ignores that. And... It was one of those high fang. You know, it was a very expensive car when it came out, and it had a lot of bells and whistles, but now it's time to pay the piper. All that stuff's breaking. So a few things you can do. One is you can just ignore it, just drive the car. I mean, as long as it drives normal, other than that, you have no noises, you have no squeaks, you have no tire wear, then you can just ignore it and go on knowing what it is. Number two, you can have the kit installed and bypass it so that you don't have to worry with it anymore. And, of course, number three, you can go ahead and restore it all back like it was originally. The only disadvantage is just obscenely expensive to do so. Right. Rel- I think relative I'll take to option the ex- one. Yeah. <laughs> well, more and more and more, they are mandating junk like that on cars. So more and more and more people are doing exactly that. They're simply ignoring it. You know, it's our federal government telling us we're going to save you. 
and they put all this junk on a car, but one day it's going to break and it's going to cost a whole lot to fix. And the value to the customer, had you known when you bought the car that, hey, 10 years down the road, this is going to cost you five grand, you probably would have said, no, thanks. I don't want that. Exactly. But, but nobody it a, knows. It's on right. there. It's part of the car and you don't find out until it's way too late. So anyway, that's what that's all about. You guys give great information. Thank you so much. Thank well, you, Thank ma'am. you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Yogi online. Good morning, Yogi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Uh, thanks. I have a 98 Honda Accord, and uh-huh. the, AC, uh, the AC light that shows uh, the AC is on, yes, sometimes sir. it goes off. And when it goes off, it blows uh, regular air, like fan air. Yes. That happens for like two minutes. Then again, the light comes on and it, you know, the AC loads cold air. Yes, so maybe right. like the two minutes, you know, on a given day, I may not have AC, but such, uh, I mean, is this something that could lead to some major problem in future? Well, it could, Yogi, depending on exactly what it is, and the fix may not be that big a deal. Okay. See, that is an electrical issue where the compressor is being disabled for some reason, and the key is we need to know the reason. Because there is a relay in which is relatively inexpensive, and if it's getting hot and kicking out, then okay. that's an easy fix. Also, okay. the clutch on the compressor, can the gap can get too wide between the drive plate and the pressure plate, and it'll start to slip. Now, that's dangerous because eventually it'll burn up, and when it does it gets hot, it kicks out. Sometimes that can just be adjusted. So I guess what I would do, Yogi, is to get it into a competent shop, have them check it, find out why. If it's an easy fix, I would fix it. If it's okay. not causing anything else, then you may not have to worry about it. But okay. you, you need to find out what's going on because you don't want to go burn something up that could have been prevented. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank you very much. I Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Try to catch one more call real quick. We've got SJ online. Good morning, SJ. Hey, Lou. How y'all doing? Good, Good morning. Sir. 2005 Avalon. Whenever I crank it and, and start off, it kind of makes like a, a small sound. And then whenever I'm driving or stopping and going, it doesn't make it anymore. <laughs> it only does it while it's cranking or as soon as it starts? Right after I crank it and just drive it. Like if I'm backing out the garage and getting ready to leave out the driveway, I, it'll start. It'll do it. Mm-hmm. And then after I'm on a highway or anywhere else, it doesn't do it anymore. Yeah, I'd be a little concerned about that, SJ, because what that could be is something like the starter Bendix not retracting fully back into the starter and hitting on the flywheel will make a noise like that at that time. If that's the case, it's a relatively easy fix. You can just replace the starter, but if it tears up the flywheel, which it will do, then it's going to be a real, real big deal because the transmission's got to come out to fix it. Now, what you need to do when you take this to have it repaired is have the technician go out to the car with you and show him this is what it's doing. Right. It only does it during these conditions, and this is what I want fixed. Right. And that way you're sure to, because if you bring it in, you drop it off, it's hot, it doesn't do it, he doesn't know what he's looking That's for. That's right. That's right. So, so you got to be prepared it, to bring it in cold. If it does it mostly in the morning first thing, right. I drop it the night before, and that way he's got it first thing in the morning to check it and see. But that kind of sounds like what it's doing. Yeah, it doesn't do it whenever I'm just driving around at a stop sign. Yeah, see, once right. well, once, if you're not cranking the engine, it's not extending that starter bendix, so it's not going to do it anymore. It's only going to do it when it extends and doesn't retract. So, But, again, something that's fairly easy that can turn into something real, real big. And I'm sorry, we're just totally out of time. I'd like to thank our, hey, go ahead. <laughs> how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Yeah, we really appreciate it when you give us a rating. It lets us know we're doing a good job. And that's really about the only conversation we there get for this. So we really appreciate that if you'd be so kind as to do it. 
preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.